This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. It's a real honor, a schos, to be hosting a Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky, the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Greater Washington, who has joined us to discuss the important issue of tshuva and tefillah. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight, for this evening of chizuk, and I know the content, the message that the Rosh Hashiva shares will be enlightening and inspiring, but also just being part of a group that has taken off of their busy schedule on a busy Sunday night to come together for chizuk, to try to learn, try to grow, work on themselves, that itself is tremendous chizuk. May this evening assist us on our quest to be better Jews during these Yimei Hadin. May Kaddish Baruch Hu write and inscribe all of you in the Sefer HaChayim for a year of good health and happiness. Amen. I want to thank our president, Dr. Itzi Bar, for his dedication to make this program happen. As everyone knows, and we're going to see in the next two years, Everything Itzi does is lishma, with lev and nefesh, with real dedication. Itzi, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu grant you and your family a good year of health, good health and happiness. Amen. Baruch Hashem, we've been zochet to host Rabbi Lobiansky several times in the last few years, but tonight's format will be a little bit different. It's entitled A Conversation About Tshuva and Tefillah. And the first question that I'd like to present the Rosh Hashiva and really set the stage for this evening is about the Rosh Hashiva's personal reflections, recollections of Elul in Yerushalayim and the Mir Yeshiva. What was it like in Elul? The Rosh Hashiva spent several decades in Yerushalayim and the Mir Yeshiva. What can he tell us? How can he describe the tefillos, the atmosphere, the ruach, the attitude? We've all heard stories of fish trembling in Europe, in pre-war Europe during Elul. We've all heard stories of people fainting when the Chazim calls out Rosh Chodesh Elul. What are we to make of those stories? And what was it like in Yerushalayim in the days of Elul? First of all, I uh, to being part of this tzibur, that people get together for a discussion not a drasha, but a discussion and the input is from the tzibur is very meaningful. Um, I feel very connected. Rabbi Marwick grew up uh, a block from where I live and we, and we have a lot uh, of exchanges in shivas. And when he comes to yeshiva, we have a lot. Uh, Dr. Boz was a talented at yeshiva. And I look around with many other familiar faces. So I'm very, very happy to be part of this tzibur. Um, so I'd like to, the, the, the talk about Elul used to be, the fish trembling and so on. So, I, I mean, my father's Benavracha was born in 1900-something, and he would speak about his recollections as a child and so on. I, I think we need to bear in mind life in Europe in those days was extremely tense. Things really were always on brink, and 
It was palpable. I mean, you may or may not have what to eat on a regular basis. You may or may not be involved in some sort of pogrom. Um, you may or may not find a shidduch. Things were extremely difficult. And it created an extraordinary awareness of what a Yom Adin is. The HaKadosh Baruch has blessed us that we have a far more comfortable life. I mean, I sometimes, excuse me for saying, but when, it, when you read absurdities like anti-Semitism in America, it's like Germany in 1930. Well, I, I mean, people lived extraordinarily tight, and you know, it was natural my father would, would walk someplace that, that a few shkots and would throw racks. Was, was it not uncommon? So life was extremely tense, but it meant you were very imminently aware of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We, that was their Nisoyim. Our Nisoyim is, life is Russian comfortable. And yes, everyone has needs. But to, to peel away our layers of fat and say at the end of the day, it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's a big Nisoyim for us. And we need to deal with it in our way. We, we need to understand our challenges. So um, comparing it to what used to be and somehow thinking it could be the same, I'm not sure. But we do really need to search. So what does Yom Adin mean for us? And Baruch Hashem, things are reasonable. About my personal recollections in the mirror, so the mirror yeshiva, it, it, was, it was a yeshiva that was on the, in the Musa world, not from the intense yeshivas, but it was something that was, there was a general atmosphere. And if I can, if I can think of the, I guess, overarching feeling of L, there was a special feeling, was intensity. Make use of every minute. Like, the, 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 this was after three weeks of vacation, which in Israel is kind of a huge amount. And so after three weeks of going to different places, you know, whatever, doing what people did in the summer, we came back, and there was a sense of kind of, we need to really ratchet it up. And my Rebbe Chaim Shalevitz would say a schmooze, and you uh, said a schmooze every week. And a, a common L um, opening schmooze was, I walked into this marriage last week, and the Gemaras were crying that they're neglected, and nobody looked at them. And then he would say, sometimes you need absence to push you forward. That was a, a typical attitude. So the, the pervasive atmosphere was sort of ratcheting up what you're doing. The focus was on learning. That was the mere, the focus was always on learning. So there was a lot of a sense of not wasting any time, starting or extraordinarily strong. Because it was only a month plus, People really drove themselves. So people got very late at night learning, and as as it got closer to Rosh Hashanah, more and more came to Shachris or on time to Shachris, depending on what their particular tshuva was, and and that was so so intensifying the learning, making sure you're not wasting any time was a very strong part of it. And Rabbi Shmulevitz would speak a lot of Rabbi and for his Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur Shmuzen were exactly the same from year to year, letter by letter, and they all spoke about different aspects of Enom Chaveiro. That was, that was the, the, the consistent message. 
So I would say there was a sense of anticipation, apprehension in a certain sense, a, a, a charged atmosphere. And I remember in, in, in the, the Mesechta that me Shiva was the most intense Mesechta, that was Yvonne's. Yvonne's is, those of you who didn't that a young and survive, know that it's not an easy Mesechta. That's talking about Pshat. When you talk about the longness of it, it's extremely difficult. And Reb Nochum was the master of Yvonne's. The Shurim and Yvonne's were world famous. His command of Yvonne's was extraordinary. And I remember the first day of his mama, the first night, Abacha told me, I'm not sure what would generate a, a, a higher pitch saying Elul or Yvonne's. Like, like, it wasn't, like which one of the two would, would sort of make the, make the atmosphere. But that was the type of, that was the type of atmosphere that was generated. Thank you. Um, moving on to, to Tshuva. How do you define tshuva? We speak so much about tshuva, tshuva, tefillot, staka. What, what is a working definition of tshuva? How do you achieve tshuva? And what, what are we really trying to accomplish when we say we're trying to do tshuva during this time of year? Somebody once said that an American bacha wants to learn all of shas in one night and get a good night's sleep also. So, I mean, in, in, in a question with a five-minute limit about Shubert, that's, that's, an amazing, that's an amazing question. Um, but I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to have a, di a little bit of a different focus. I mean, Akash Prabhu provides with technology, Mishalom, and on ways we have a recenter button, um, you know, where you kind of have been looking here and there, and then what we're on you. I think the biggest thing that we're missing, Baruch Hashem, we all shock we do more, we do better, we do less, but more or less everybody is in, in doing, failing what they're supposed to do and so on. But I think because we're so swamped, we're so much part of another world, the sense of where are we, who are we? Where are we going? I, I, if, if, of all the things, I think that that's something that should get our biggest focus. A lot would fall into place. And if, if a person, for instance, meets, if a person is going someplace and meets a friend, you stand in schmooze. If a person is, has a store and he's standing, you know, and he's serving customers, that friend comes in, he says a nice hi, but he keeps moving because he's in a store and he's busy. We, we're missing somewhat, not somewhat, quite a lot, everyone of us is missing that sense of who are we, where are we, what are we. I think getting that sense of being recentered um, is, will, will lead to many good things. A person tends to naturally focus on things important and, um, and less on things that are peripheral. If our life is one thing, and davening is something that sort of interferes with life. Learning a seder is something that comes up and has to be done. That gives it one focus. If life is focused around who are we, what are we, then it's a very, very different focus. I, I like to tell all the, uh, um, something I've learned about somebody. There used to be near me yeshiva. So me yeshiva was me yeshiva, but there were, there, were, there were things around yeshiva. And one of them was a store where somebody sold shoes. And the person was a very Geshmaka person. He was a, a Yushami kind of. And 
and at night, he, he would play chess with guys. They love playing chess, they like playing chess. And he would sit, sometimes it was all night, they were welcome there playing chess with him. He also had the radio on, so he heard the news, and, and that was technology. In those days, the, the, the technology battle was the radio. And, and there, was, there was a hangout, not, you know. And one day, he said, that's it. I'm closing, I'm closing one o'clock, there's no more chess playing after one o'clock, whatever it is, it's finished. So someone asked him, what's wrong with playing chess? It's kosher, it's nothing wrong with it. And he said, a mensch vergesst worries. He's a person loses himself, and he floats into a different world. And he said, that's a terrible thing. And, and it made a very big impression on me, that, that take. A person needs to always have a sense of, yes, um, I'm, I'm driving down a highway, there's a rest area, but, but I haven't landed in the rest area. The rest area hasn't become my home. It's a place where I'm on the highway, and this is a place to stop off. The, the idea, the sense that a mensch vergesst a word is, I think, permeates us. And therefore, and I, I remember sitting, someone told me uh, uh, when I was at Israel, one of the things about Israel is that the whole country goes around the clock of Yiddishkeit. Even a person who is not Shomer Shabbos, Friday afternoon things wind down. It, it, it's a different atmosphere. And someone was telling me about their mother, I think, she was from Friday afternoon and Friday night, she, she, she didn't come home. Everybody was worried what happened. And she came in the for the last minute. She had been shopping at a mall, and she forgot it's Friday afternoon. Very from lady, down, you know, no. And the, and the idea to me, so I guess I've been there for a long time, just nothing was open. It, it, it just the idea that Friday afternoon, you could forget it's Friday afternoon. But we forget where we are, who we are, why we're here. And everything else fades away. So I think focusing on, on recentering ourselves and getting a sense of who we are, what we're doing here, and what we're here for will help us in a lot of other areas. In terms of some of the practical aspects of tshuva, making kabbalos, taking things upon ourselves, I think a lot of times people look back to last year, previous years, and they see that many of their goals and aspirations weren't accomplished. Lahavdil, I saw a statistic that in general society today, it's, it's very uncommon to take on New Year's resolutions. Less than one in four take them on. And of the people who take them on, those Yechidei Skula, very few actually follow through, even a week or two later. Um, when it comes to Kabbalos this time of year, how do we, how do we uh, convince ourselves that, that it's possible? I, I saw something very interesting that Revolbi quotes Rav Hutner, who said the aviavos hatuma, and the challenge of this generation is belief in bechira chafshus. And Revolbi says that we think that we bnei Torah do believe in bechira chafshus. But he said if you really believed in bechira chafshus, then you wouldn't ask this question. You would know that you can change, <laughs> that you can that you can be different. And uh, so my question, on a practical level, is what. How do we convince ourselves that we can change? And what are some good Kabbalists to take on that will really spark that change and help us be different and better in the coming year? It, it, it's true. I mean, you know, we, we, we look at young boys, they take on Kabbalists, they're very charged up that they'll change and be different. 
And as we get older, we get a bit jaded, you know, we've been through it, we've tried and so on. I would suggest two possible things that I think would be helpful. One is something very interesting. In this week's Parsha, we have something called Vidimaisris. Vidimaisris is you come to the um, Kohen, you bring the, 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 the whatever you have left over of the Trumasimaisris, and you recite, um, I gave all the Mises I, I needed to, I didn't misuse it, I didn't eat it improperly, and so on. So that's very nice. Why is it called Vidu? That's a very strange, like coming to a Rav and saying, I must confess, I've done magnificent this year, learned really well, give a lot of stuff. It's very nice, but where does the word confession come in over here? Um, I would suggest, when a person, if a person makes an honest hajman and effish, so we do have guilty, we have a guilt conscience, and, and, and we, so we, we sort of comes to Shani Kippur, we, we lap on a lot of our various we did wrong. I think a, a real sincere Hajman Nefes would ask ourselves what went right and why did it go right. If we really, if we really were trying to work things through, we would ask ourselves what things did we do that helped. It would be just as helpful as as pointing out ourselves was amiss. So, in in a time set aside for reflection, an honest reflection would say what are the things that worked and what are the things that didn't work? And if a person can't think of things that work, then it's not a real analysis of himself, of his life, and so on. And that's one thing I think is important. Secondly, um, the, there's, there's a, the Rambam speaks a lot about a derech lo tova. A lot of our behaviors are generated through a whole pattern of activities. For instance, if somebody's trying to eat less, then obviously, if he's constantly, if, if, if he's constantly exposing himself to food, it's difficult. And it's true that enough willpower can do anything. But if you're smart, why do you want to test your willpower that way? Test your willpower not to have so much food at home, it'll make it easier. There are, a person wants to daven better. There are, there are minyanim, the way the daven is more serious, and the atmosphere is better, and the minyanim when it's less so. If a person wants to learn, there are kabutzis and chabutzis that learn, and the learning fits the person. The chavra amechazik each other. It feels good. You come in at night to waste marriage to learn. It feels good. You're uplifted by, 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 by the atmosphere. There was somebody in the Meishiva, come back to Meishiva, everything starts in Meishiva. Um, there was a fellow, this is a fascinating story. He is an Indian Gertzeg, not Indian as indigenous, but Indian as Asian Indian. He is a Gertzeg and learned many years in Shiva, tremendous <coughs> Tamachach, brilliant fellow. He put out Sparta, Kulin, I think. And he writes his Akdama that, you know, the, the, the enormity of the Meir Yeshiva Vesmedrish uh, is incredible. And he compares it to a study that the reason why birds fly in flocks is because I think it reduces, it's 25% less energy needed because of the, 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 the wind movement of the entire group together. So he said it's just the energy of everybody learning. If you learn, look at Shavuos night, 
if you try at two o'clock in the morning opening a safe uh, in the middle of the year, it, it's, it's impossible. You walk into a marriage, everybody's learning, it's tough, but it, it's doable. Well, it comes into an environment. If you hang out with people whose language matters, of course, then you could be different, but chances are it's not. So and patterns of behavior, I think, are things that a person needs to pick up on. It takes a lot more insight, because most of the time, our activities are generated from patterns. And how come I'm always at loggerheads with different people? So, so make a Kabbalah to smile at everybody is not going to do it, because you need to understand why do I have a pattern? Some people seem to get along with everybody, some people don't get along with everybody. Those are all things, so finding one area where you can change the pattern would probably be most helpful in this area. Before we move on to tefillah, I just want to go back. The Roshiva mentioned that Rav Chaim Shmulevitz focused on Ben Adam Lachabero. Why was that? Why is Ben Adam Lachabero the Aboda of Elo? So, I mean, I, I don't know how to second guess him. Rav Chaim is a very big person. And Rav Chaim, I, I assume it's aligned with the Mishnah that says Yom Kippur's Mechap and all Averis, except for Midal Mechavero, and that might have been one, one reason why he felt a Yom Kippur will do it for everything else but not Mechavero. There may have been another reason, and, and again, I'm, 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 I'm only hazarding a guess. I, I, I can't, he never said why he speaks about it. When a person is in an environment like Yeshiva, and you're not involved with people, Maybe sometimes it doesn't bring out the full sensitivity. It was incredible for Chaim, and when I reflected upon it in, in, in later years, Chaim was an off-the-charts master. I mean, the stories about him in his youth, where he had nothing but learning. He could go for three days without sleeping or eating much, and just be learning. The story, he, he, he was what you would call a crazy master. He had incredible strength and lose himself totally in it. Even if what I know he was written down well, but you could see him sometimes lost in learning and he was in a different world. I remember Chaim was dying. He was comatose for a few weeks and he was repeating all the shurim and saying the shurim and arguing and learning. That's, I sat next to him. That was him. But when he spoke and he described the feelings of people who are hurt, it, it was the sensitivity was incredible, and I and and you know then it's natural. That's what I'm he, he was a very powerfully emotional person, but when I reflect, where and when, where did he get that from? He, he, when he spoke, he would bring out feelings of people in a way that was it, 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 like somebody who, who that was his world, and yet his world was learning. So I I think that might have been a reason. I you know I can't say for sure. But, but that's one of the impressions I have. I, I, sorry, I, I just want to describe, I, I want to describe a, 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 something Rebheim said at my wedding, he spoke, my pastor was in Shiva, the, the students were on Shabbos, and he said over a story, and it's a story that today people would emphasize one part of it, and Rebheim was a big person, and that's why he saw a different part of the story. 
The story was like this. He had a brother-in-law who was one of the big Nevarnica B'nai Torah. His name was Mervalshin, the Bisavalshin. He was in, in, from the big Nevarnicas, and in Nevarnica, one of the things he worked on was Bitochen. Absolute trust in That was, and he was that. Reb Chaim described the following scene. Reb Valshin had one son, I remember him. Reb Yitzhak also died in Siberia. But his son lived near Shalim, Reb Valshin. And he had one son, and when he was eight years old, he went to buy his first pair of shoes. Now, the shoes in Europe was the equivalent of a bicycle, a car, People went barefoot in the snows, in the mud, in, in the stones, and a pair of shoes was something you were, it was wonderful. And your first pair of shoes was everything. And he, he's, he's eight years old when he went with him to buy his first pair of shoes. And Reb Chaim is describing it. He said he's holding his son's hand, and his son is skipping with joy because they're going to get to the store soon and he's going to have his first pair of shoes. His father didn't have a nickel in his pocket. And he went on pure bitachon. The end of the story is that somehow he got the shoes. So everybody would have put it down as one of the miracle bitachon stories. Reb Chaim had a very different perspective. He said, you're holding your son's hand, your only son, and all the joy of his being is summed up in that hand that you're holding. And you know the crushing disappointment. There's no way you can do it unless you're sure there's a pair of shoes waiting there. Reb Chaim saw the Bittachim through the eyes of, 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 of the deep emotion. Only Reb Chaim would do that. Anybody else find it would be, one of the, the, it would be part of the Bittachim priest. So yeah, he went there, bought a pair of shoes, and got a pair of shoes. But, but he was holding, it, it, Reb Chaim described that. I don't remember what the point of the story was. What he was speaking about, we was wrong with it. But, but I remember vividly the way he described the feeling. And that was Rebchaim. And Rebchaim conveyed it to us. And, and, and uh, it was incredibly powerful. I'll tell over, uh, at the risk of taking too much time, I'll, I'll tell over another story of Rebchaim's phenomenal understanding of, of uh, Benam Havero. He had a famous story. People have said over the story, people, like someone called me once, he asked the story is true. The problem is sometimes people don't have the context for it. During the Six Day War, the Mir Yeshiva was on the border. And once Shmuel Andavi was the border, and for those of you who know, probably everybody, it's a half a block away, and they took, it, it took a lot of hits. The Mir Yeshiva was stuck in 61 Yeshiva in the, in the basement, and the yeshiva took some hits, and it was extraordinarily uh, terrifying. Three days until things calmed down and brought to So at the height of it, there was a direct hit of a shell on the yeshiva. You can still see where they filled it in. And the whole building shook. And everybody was sure they don't. And Abraham would say, what saved us? Not the schools of the learning, not the schools of the dhabi. There was a woman there, and I remember also, she lived like one house or two houses away from the yeshiva. And, and since very few people had shelters, she, would, she came to yeshiva like the surrounding families came in. Her husband had abandoned her 20 years ago. She was an aguna. 
She was an extraordinarily important, um, very miserable person, very poor. I think she had a sick father. A very somebody who really was was a living a life of tremendous misery. And she said, what my husband did to me is unforgivable. I forgive him, forgive us. Reb Chaim said, that saved us. So people say, so did he say that this chus is bigness for Satur and so on, so, but kind of, that's not Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim was expressing, understand what it means, the ultimate hurt of a person, and understand what it means to rise and forgive. But this was a person who lived in a world of, of Torah and just, and the fact that, that he felt it, absorbed it, and it shook him to his core, and he, and he could express it to us, that was part of, of, of what, what he taught. A story like that sharpened and heightened our sensitivities to what other people are going through, and understanding what it means to be hurt, and what it means to rise above and to forgive. I want to transition now to uh, discussing tefillah a little bit. Uh, tefillah, of course, is, is central to Yiddishkeit. We daven three times a day, and then comes the Yom Narayim, Slichos, and we spend a lot of time in tefillah. Uh, the Reb Chaim Brisker is famous for saying in the, in the worldview of the Rambam that the most important kavana in tefillah is that you're omed lifnei hamelach. Even more important than understanding the words, which of course is important, is this understanding that you're standing in front of the King of Kings, which the Chazanish, in his glosses on Reb Chaim, says, Lo it's, it's extremely challenging. And I imagine that's why the Mishnah tells us that Hasidim HaRishonim would prepare. They wouldn't just run into Shul and, and open up the Siddur, they would sit for a little bit. And the question is, what did they do to prepare for tefillah? And how did we prepare for tefillah? How does the Rosh Hashiva personally prepare for Tila? So we'll stick to everybody else. <laughs> it's always easy to tell people what to do. <laughs> um, so there's an aspect, there's an aspect about Tila based agnesis that really is a paradox. And, and it's very, it's hard how to balance the two. On the one hand, Besaknesis brings us all together. We're all part of a tzibur. We feel tremendous kinship. If somebody's missing, we ask what happened to him, how are things going. It, it, it is, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's the most, kehila and Besaknesis is probably the most important institution in bringing us together and, and being part of one tzibur. I spoke once uh, about Shuva many years ago, who was an extremely successful writer in his world and he came from, and he said, understand, there's no concept of community base. It used to be that there was a small town and there was one school and, 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 and you know, whatever, and everybody had to the same as a worship, it's gone. He said, the idea that there's a tzibur and a kehillah is extremely invigorating, and that's the positive part of it. But in, in davening itself, we need really to move away from that world. Every person is in his own world. And it's, it's a problem twofold. First of all, what, what the expectation of our world is total connectivity. So even if we're not, even if we, if we have the mental kind of close, you know, the, 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 like Charles went into the shul, 
but we're fidgeting. It's like somebody would have a cigarette without a coffee. He's used to it. I, I, I feel I, 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 something's wrong. It's, it's not, I'm not, I'm not being buzzed, I'm not buzzing, I'm not doing anything. The idea of, of sort of moving away, the Lifne Hashem, if you take a look at the different requirements in Philip, they all are moving to your own space, the Yurakashvarov. So yes, so if we can if we if we don't have the meat stuff on, that's good. If we don't have if we don't talk to them, that's that's extremely appropriate. But then the question is psychologically, mentally, emotionally, can we um, move into our own space? It's something it's 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 fascinating because the world of psychology today tries very much to focus on that. But Phil is meant to be a private space between me and a Kershvarov. It's, it's not, it, it's, the Kavana, people try to think of Kavana as sort of a very active process, to think Hashem, Hashem is here. It's a lot more to do to, to sort of move out. And it's not easy. It's, it's, it's we're so used to not that, and that, that we're, we're constantly being pulled. We don't know what it feels like to be alone. Some Hasidim have what's called his bodilus, a wrestler that's very crowded every night. And that fosters a sense of connectivity. And, and it, it's something that, that, that puts together. I, I don't know how, it, it's something that the person has to prep himself that I'm able to sort of take a deep breath and move past this world, learn how to sort of focus on the sitter and let other things out. There was somebody who spoke, there was a mirror get together in New York in the summer and about the business, the people in Shiva have gone to business, a large gathering of people, and they had some people sharing their experiences. There was a panel of three extremely successful businessmen, and one of them, who is a very successful what he does, and is also a really chashva, zatam chacham, and a very special person, and he said over the following story. He said, he, he says the Dafayomi every day from six to seven, and then he davens and he goes to the office. So one morning at five o'clock he woke up, he took a look at the news, and the, the company, the investment that he had guided his company into investing didn't go down. It was under investigation, which meant it, it was zero. It was worth, at that point, he had buried every single penny of whatever investment company. He said that was it, it was some sort of indictment or investigation, it basically meant it. And he knew it meant probably his job is online. And he was overwhelmed. And then he said, it's bad enough that you're gonna lose your job. You wanna lose the hour of the also? And he put himself together, went to say the share, got engrossed in the learning, and went on down. And he wasn't an easy time at the office, but he survived project. But but that attitude that you know, this is my world. This world is my world. And if I'm able to remove myself a step out of everything around me and absorb myself in the world of me and Akarish Baruchu, I have a real world. I create the world of Akarish Baruchu. So it takes first of all just understanding and, and, and there's also that paradox. After davening, I want to turn to the person next to me and ask him how he's doing and what's happening. 
there's a kiddish, there's, there's a get-together. That is a very, very important part of it. But as important is that once I start dying, it's me and a historical, and there's no room for others. I once saw a beautiful thought, a beautiful agasha from Shimshon Pinkus. He asked, how come we say Tseschem Shalom? I mean, to tell a guest, okay, go, have a nice time is rude. There's Malachim coming with you and tell them, get lost. Like, like, how do we do it? So he said a beautiful thought. He said, you ever see, I just came from a chasana, so I just witnessed it. Uh, you ever see an enthusiastic crowd of friends dancing a couple to the Yichudu? And the, 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 the vibes, the simcha together, and then they close the door and everybody moves on because it's just the chasen kalo. He says, it's us and Shabbos Amalka. And Malachim, move on. That's a beautiful, I, I found it a very elevated thought. That's Dominic. It's me and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the decision whether it's me and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is up to my frame of mind. And if I learn not to look around me, not to talk to anybody for sure, to, to, to try to be absorbed as much as possible, it, it's not Kavanah I put in. It's just, it just paying attention to it. It, 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 we might find that to be a very, very helpful way of getting into it. In terms of the, the focus of tefillah, in, in a broader sense, is the focus different on Yamim Naraim? Is it more universal, universal and not? Is it more spiritual, more ruchnias? What, what should the focus of our, of our Yamim Naraim tefillah be? So there is a sharp difference between Rosh and Yekibah, but if a person, I mean, if a person were to stand back and say to himself, HaKadosh Baruch created a world that was meant to be beautiful, sublime, good, and there's so much bad and so much dirt and so much cruelty it's a world that has destroyed itself and can't get itself together. Is this the world that's meant to be Akash Baruch's world? There's a, a universal sense. There's, and Rosh Hashanah deals with that. The, the whole Vechein Pain, the whole concept of Akash Baruch's Malchus on the world is not about Akash Baruch. Akash Baruch's not missing anything whether people acknowledge, don't acknowledge. It's, it, they're, 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 there is nothing missing to Akadosh Baruch But the world would look different if people acted differently. If, if, if uh, you know, I, I, this is another talk about the Vatican story. Someone asked one of the big Vatikas, like, in the, in the, I mean, I, I'm in, in the perfect world you're talking about, how would you support yourself? They said, well, I would have a shoe store. I would put out the shoes, I would put out a sign how much each shoe costs, and a back so I would leave the money, and I'd go learn to be Spanish. So he said, you fool, everybody take the shoes and run off with it. He said, what are we talking about a perfect world? What are we talking about the world that's supposed to be? It's not only about people sitting and learning, about people being honest, and people doing what it's supposed to do. The fact that the world is lacking, I, I, I once saw, I was, it was the first time I met Rabbi Noah Weinberg, I was interviewing for the job. I started working in 1993. I worked there for seven years. I never met him before. I heard of him. 
And you know, people talk about him being a big Makarov. To me, he was a magnificent person. His stature was incredible. The whole person was incredible. And so I came in and was talking about different things and whatever it was. It was like a few days before Rosh Hashanah, and the room was full of bouquets of flowers and, and all sorts of flower plants. People had sent us gifts for Rosh Hashanah. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was the room. And he was talking to me about whatever it was that I remember. Someone came in with, 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 with a very, with some troubling news that a project they had been working on for a long time, invested a lot of money, efforts, and so on, someone had sort of snatched from them. I, I, I gathered that was it. I, I didn't understand it, but something, something had, had interfered or done something that, that really uh, and was extremely upsetting to the organization. So, but no, so actually was wonderful. If they're doing that, we'll do something else, and so on. The person left the room. I saw him, it took him a few moments to collect himself. And then he spotted a flower pot. And he pulled it over, and he looked at the colors, and he smelled it, and he could see himself lost in it. And he said, what a beautiful world you've created. Again, my, my, it's my take on it. He wanted to see, he was a person who saw everything beautiful and wonderful. And it, 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 this part of the act, the Staffordshire story was that people could be that way. It wasn't his personal issue, whatever it was. Understanding, thinking back and saying it's a world that's so troubled. So many people are troubled in so many different ways. We have our person, like we said, at least in our world, there's such a plethora of, of um, material stuff. The kings didn't live the way. We live, and yet there's so, so much unhappiness in so many different ways. So thinking of the sucking oil of the Malchus Shakai, that if the whole world were to recognize and see, that would be that would be incredible. Um, I once saw a story that somebody wrote uh, uh, um, a non-Hasidic author wrote a book about Breslau Hasidus, and. He, he described it, Spiritual was a magnificent writer, and he described the shtetl with the magnificent Bianaklois, the very nice garish people, the more poor this, and finally the last havel at the end of the shtetl was a breast of the shtetl, the best of the people. Like, he describes the poverty. He describes the people there, the kids dressed in shambles. They were the poorest of the poor of the poor. And they and the um, and there were two masculine in the room, and they they, they, they were they were um, and and the and they saw them they, they were standing outside after Shalshos Kiddush Lavana and the kids were were davening that the Pgimas Halavana Halavana and one of them snickers to the other all the kid is missing is that the Pgimas Halavana has no shoes he doesn't have what to eat in a week. And he, has, he doesn't have a mother, he doesn't have this. The Pagimas of the whole thing is missing. And the kids then danced the weekhood afterwards, and like the Kiddush And one kid said to the other, wouldn't it be a wonderful world if everybody was abreast of a chassid? And the other kid said, yes. That was the story he brought. I'm not abreast of a chassid, I'm not, I'm not here for that. But understanding, if a world lived with different musagim and different ideas, what's important? What's good? What's a worthwhile enterprise? What's my role in this world? The world looked different. 
And, and, and seeing that, the person's, a person's sensitive should have that feeling also. Within the, the idea of tefillah, I want to discuss a little bit about feeling a little bit jaded about tefillah. There are things that we daven for all the time. We're always davening for Mashiach, and for many years, people have said it's ikvah said the Mashiach, but we're still waiting for Mashiach. We're in private tefillahs many times. People daven for things, and, and it doesn't come true. And I saw the Rosh Shlomo Zalman Orbach was very hesitant to have public tefillah gatherings for people who, there was no refuah. And he said, you shouldn't stop davening, but he was worried that a public tefillah gathering is going to make people question the efficacy of, of, of tefillah. And my question for the Rosh Hashiva is, we live in a, a global world where, unfortunately, the tsaras that happened everywhere, the entire world is davening, and, and we see the results, and many times it's not what we, we hoped for. How do we encourage ourselves? How do we make sure we're not jaded about the efficacy of tefillah? I, I think the first thing is to redefine what it is that we're looking for. Um, unfortunately, for, for one reason or another, the, um, it's become that Ruchnius is a tool to sort of twist the Kajbaba's arm to do what you like. So if you down hard enough, he'll do what you want. If you use, if you use the right schoolers, he'll do what you want. <coughs> There's a sense of sort of the purpose of it all. We all want Rafuas and Yeshua's and everything with it. And this is a way that we can sort of force our way into it. And, and uh, that's something that, unfortunately, it's a sort of commercialization of it. And it's, and, and it's a distortion. Our world is a world that's shared with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We and HaKadosh Baruch Hu interact, sometimes in ways that's obvious, sometimes in ways not obvious. But it's all about the interaction. And every person's vote is charted, and the, the, the obstacles, the issues, the challenges, the opportunities, everyone has the vote that's charged him and so on. There are moments when the sense of Akkadish Prabhu being involved is much more profound. And that's a time to connect with Philip. When a person goes, when, when you make a fundraising effort, before you, you think about the, 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 the message, what you would do, you ask yourself, who am I going to approach? If somebody doesn't have the ability to give, the best message is not going to get it and get him to donate. So you want to find the person that can. Our sense is the person that can is a right show. And when things are normal and okay, it's much harder. But when there's a moment of profound need, somebody who's very sick, a crisis amongst one another, a person feels that intensity. You know that Kachbaum can give you. So tefillah is the opportunity to connect. Now, it may or may not bring about the result, but tefillah is much deeper than that. At the end of it, the, the, the life we live in, in terms of the, the, the challenges we face is fresh problem dictates. Tefillah is part of the process. Just like it, it, we're meant to use 
national means, if somebody is not well, Kajbahu wants us not to rely on a mace, to roll up our sleeves and go to the doctor, take medicine, do whatever we need to do. Tefillah is part of that avoda. We need to reach out because that's what it's there for. Moments of extraordinary need. So instead of looking at tefillah, result, the result of tefillah is the connection of Yerushalayim. And in moments of, 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 of profound distress, the sense of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is strongest. And that's the time for tefillah. If we're fortunate, we're able to say HaKadosh both in distress and Yeshua. At the risk of undoing my message, <laughs> I, I want to share a story that, personal, personally, I, I was the sounding uh, um, board, so to speak. Many years ago, Erev Yom Kippur, by Shachris, a Bachel walked over in Yeshiva to me and said, is there any point in doubting where you know nothing ever happens? And he said it with a lot of bitterness, anger, upset, and it was bothering me. He had a sister who was, uh, who was well into middle ages, not married, very difficult situation. I, I had nothing to say. You know, I, I, it's, it, it, you can only say something if you can feel the person. You can say something. I really didn't have much to say. At Mincha, this boy came again. He comes over to Mincha and says, Rebbe, do you mind? Pardon me while I take the foot out of my mouth. He said, somebody that's been dating for the last year called me and said he wants to propose to her once in Kippur and somebody, give me some idea of what she wants, whatever, something like that. And his sister called him an hour after Kippur and she said, you know, this in Kippur, I said, I told Mershom, I'm fed up, I've had it with you. And five minutes after Kippur was over, he called the repulse. So it's a story that I was pretty about, I know the people. It does not, I don't mean it to undo what I said before. There, yes, there are extraordinary things that happen in Philip. But the purpose of Philip is the sense of connection with the One of the, the central parts of the Rosh Hashanah Boda is the, is the shofar. Can Rosh Hashiva guide us? What, what should we be thinking about during the shofar? The, the art scroll, Machser, has 10 things to think about. What, what, what should we be thinking and, and doing and reflecting upon when we hear the, the kolos this year? What, what I would suggest is it's, there is, in a mitzvah like shofar, there is never one thing to reflect, and many things usually doesn't mean nothing. You know, we have a list of 10 things, it doesn't mean anything. Finding a safer, and I try to learn every year before Rosh Hashanah, I'll, I'll go, a person should, one of the things a person should do is find a spare time Go through a few sperm and find the safer that speaks to you, the type of song speaks to you. Find something about Hashem Yeshefa and learn it beforehand. And learn it, it means something which speaks to you both intellectually and emotionally. When you hear shofar, it'll resonate. I, 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 it's not so much standing and, and thinking words. If you have a sense of something, it sort of awakens it. And the way to do it is to find something, and there's so many different styles of sperm, so many different approaches. It's a bit of a challenge sometimes to find the safer that speaks to you. 
and there are different times, different in life, in life, different kufis, when different things speak to you. But finding something, I think it's true about Prashana, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, any time when you have an uplifting yantif, the one message, it's not, and it's not dry words. Finding a safe and finding a free hour to sit and to ponder it, so that when you hear it, it's sort of, it, it awakens a sense in it. You, you, you don't have to think of the words, but this is, it's like when you hear a niggin sent to certain words. So a, a type of niggin that people do at a chasna, at a, at, a, at a chuppah, when you hear it, you automatically think of a chuppah. When you learn something about the shayfah, and it's something that you, you, it affects you intellectually and emotionally, when you hear it, it, it conjures up that image. And, and that's a very positive experience. At, uh, at the end of a davening, like Rosh Hashanah, how do, how do we know that we've had a successful davening? I know it's a, a bit of a strange question, but is, is there a feeling? Is there, you know, I mean, we, we, we go through the motions and, and you know, I, we're relieved a little bit that, that it's done, but what, what, should, what should it feel like when we've had a successful Rosh Hashanah davening? The, the tefillos, the, the, the shofar, you know, the sense of, of chizak, the achtos, what, the, you know, we're, we're meant to be mamlech HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How should we walk out, like, how should we feel when we're walking out of, of, of Shul and Rosh Hashanah? I, I would go back to the point I made before. If a person feels that he got absorbed in it, you know, it is, Rosh Hashanah Kippadami is very special, and being able to become absorbed in it is easier in many ways. Even though Dhamma is long and so on, but the niggin, the type of words, the fact that it's that it comes once, twice a year for Shana and so on. I think if a person walks out and and it's it's difficult for an entire Dhamma for people, it's a long down, but if a person feels they were parts of it when he really was absorbed in it, when he felt himself not you know, he, he's in his own world with that. That's, it doesn't know success because we taste what it means to be in a realistical world. So it's not easy to imitate it, but to at least we have a feel for it, we know what we're looking for. So having had those feelings of being absorbed in it, and, and that's why sitting alone, you know, sitting alone meaning sitting, involving yourself is, is a big part of it. It allows you at least to, to possibly get absorbed in it. I want to thank the Rosh Hashiva for his very insightful answers, and I think we're all going to walk away with, with a lot to think about and a lot to work on. And Amir Hashem, I want to wish the Rosh Hashiva a ksiva, tova, good kaben shor. And to the Rosh Hashiva and to, to all of you, thank you everybody for coming, and uh, we will now be davening Marv. Thank you again. Thank you very much.